I confess, I can't go to work without watching gay porn. If I'm bored at work, I watch gay porn on my phone. If you're getting paid for it, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Bedpost Confessions is an Austin, Texas-based live show featuring smart storytelling and anonymous confessing. Stories heard at Bedpost Confessions, as well as sister shows Unspoken and Confess, all explore themes of humor, vulnerability, and emotional justice on varying topics. No matter the topic, the highlight of any Bedpost Productions is the participation of the audience members sharing their own secrets in the form of anonymous confessions, which are read aloud during the show. Let the show begin with Mr. Finn Deerhart and his story, Fat Faggot. Take it away, Finn. MCMI, people call me up when I rock the party, you bust a nut. Feeds is breaking out the beat. Um, so I'm going to talk to you about some stuff tonight that I have not told anybody about actually until this week i've told a few people about this so i could be like what do you think if i share this what do you think is it going to be overshare um but i haven't talked about this because in my life uh, this has been a, a source of a lot of deep shame for me like serious shame uh, about my body and about what my body wants and about the journey that my body has called me to be on in this life and like she said, um, Fat Faggot, that was my name whenever I was a kid on, at recess. Recess was a daily hell because people called me Fat Faggot and I would wander around like pretending to, to find people to talk to because I didn't really have anyone to talk to at recess except for my teachers. And they thought that I was interesting. But um, that lasted actually in my life all the way up until even fairly recently in my life in photo shoots where like, every visible muscle on my body is being seen and I'm like in my head thinking fat faggot or this is not right and that's not right and that's been the way that that's affected me my whole life. Um, but the journey that my body was calling me on was one that started whenever I was a little kid in the uh, church, in the ministry. My dad is a prominent minister in a Protestant faith and he toured around the country leading revivals and um, campaigning against homosexuals and he would say that word with this like homosexuals with this like really harsh sexuals part like he had to build up this huge dam of air and just explode into the word and he was just, just really harsh about that and um, I actually learned almost everything that I knew as a kid about homosexuals from my dad uh, he had this file in his office that was this dirty dingy green um, filing cabinet and there was all these folders in there that he had sermon material in. And there's like this one file that I can see that the writing on it still like this really English scrawled writing that said homosexuality. And this, this file, like I was entranced with the information in this file. Like I went to this file all the time and I would get my heart would be racing and I was reading about like golden showers and fisting and like all these fabricated stories about what homosexuals were doing and was learning, you know, if I want to get cruised, I need to go to the park. And I was learning how to get fucked in the woods anonymously if I wanted to and all these kinds of things, right? And, I, like, I had just gotten baptized. I was 11. <laughs> and I could not, I couldn't tear myself away from, from this file. Like, it was something that I visited all the time. Um, 
And my heart would race, and I would get so excited about it, and I would get boners and everything. But then I also knew at the same time that I really needed to build up uh, this fortress around my heart because I didn't, I didn't understand what homosexuality was. I didn't know why the kids at school were calling me faggot because I had no context to really understand what that meant. But I understood when I was reading this file kind of what it was getting at and how that kind of related to me. And I knew that what my dad was talking about and all his sermons and all this anger that he had was actually against me. And uh, that was something I was, I was getting really clear on. Um, he's actually, he's still on YouTube all over YouTube with sermons about homosexuality still. And there's this one um, that I love. It's this moment where he's being really dramatic and he works himself up and he drops his, his um, voice really low and he whispers the word fisting. And there's like this sweet little lady out in the crowd and she's got like tawny curled gray hair and she's kind of hunched over and shaking and she's got this drag queen makeup on. And like you can just tell by the look on her face that she has no idea. Like, she just doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, she's like, she doesn't want to know about that. She's thinking about her pot roast, and she's thinking about, like, her makeup and her lipstick, and she's got it on her teeth, you know, and she's wondering, like, about her husband now, and she's just kind of looking suspiciously around. So I love that because you can just see, like, how little connection he has with that subject in a, in a real kind of way. Um, but... You know, those sermons were so impacting on me as a child. We spent so much time at church, and we spent so much time after church in letter-writing campaigns against like companies like uh, Johnson & Johnson and Menon and Walt Disney and all these, these companies that were supposed to be for the homosexual agenda. And then these church people would get together in the back afterwards for a big fucking potluck, and they'd be really excited, and then they would be writing letters to boycott all these companies, right? And like, I'd never seen these people come alive like they would for a potluck, and all this food, like all these like piles of different kinds of like fried chicken and macaroni, tuna, helper kinds of things, and all these cakes, right? Like so many fucking cakes. And, like all these church ladies, you know, they can... They can make cakes, and that's one of the one of the things that like I really got out of those letter writing campaigns was the cake. So naturally, like food was my first lover, and I still didn't really have lovers, and I was around like ten or eleven, and food was exhilarating. It gave me this rush. It never let me down. Um, it was like it was always there for me, and I was kind of unstoppable at this time in my life. Like I would eat several plates of food at school and on the way home from school I would stop at a corner store and I would buy like a king size candy bar and a bag of Skittles and a couple of Dr. Peppers and I would drink those on the way home and then I would get home and I would go through the cabinets and I would raid that for more and I'd be eating like just spoonfuls of peanut butter. Like, it was unstoppable and um, my mom like she would keep all this junky food in our freezer. And I don't know why she did that because that was just, I would go straight to the freezer and there was this tub of cookie dough and I would down as much cookie dough as I could get into me before she would get home. Right, so she was so pissed because the cookie dough kept disappearing that she put a lock on the freezer, there was a lock actually on the freezer and she locked it and hid the key. But like, I mean, this is why I was getting up in the morning was for the cookie dough. So it, it was easy to break into the, to the freezer and get that. And I broke into my house a few times just so I could get 
the cookie dough and all these candy bars that she kept in the freezer. And my band at school was uh, selling all the, you know, like those expensive candy bars that for raising funds for like contests and things. And I ate like an entire box of those and my mom was so pissed because she had to pay $50 to the band for all these candy bars that I ate. And like I kind of like wanted to get, get caught at this point. So I was like putting myself out there in these situations where it would just be uncontrollable and get caught. And then I noticed like when I was putting this together that that was the same kind of compulsion and, and lack of awareness that I would have like years later in a bathroom like sucking cock and then just like forgetting that, that that ever happened, that that wasn't something that I actually did, you know? And um, it, was, it wasn't long before food started becoming part of my sexual practice, too. Um, like I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have lovers. I didn't have a way to really understand anything. And I was an isolated child, so like I would open the fridge, and it was like full of all this really fuckable stuff. And I would like have a carrot up my ass and whacking off with that. And then... I like started hollowing out cucumbers with a spoon and jacking off with a sheath. And then I would warm up bologna in the microwave and jack off with that. And all these things, you know, um, just textures and different kinds of foods. And I mean, you have to have done that, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Carrots, at least the carrots. Right, yeah. So, you know, and it wasn't long before I realized, too, that just like they said, you know, people would tease about this, but, like, peanut butter really does bait the dog really well if you want to get your cock and balls licked. <laughs> I mean, it, it works, really. It did work, and it was one of those It was one... Yeah, thank you. Like, it was one of those things, too, you know, you want, like, a little more and a little more and, like, a little more intense next time, and um, I did... I felt shame about the dog situation, <laughs> but uh, I was out in the shed one night jacking off because I wasn't allowed in my bedroom with my door shut, so I would go out to the shed and jack off, and then I was like really worked up, and I was edging, and I was like su super excited, and then in comes the dog, and so like I didn't think about it. I just like spat on my hand and I like, grabbed the dog by the hips and I tried to fuck the dog and I tried to put my dick in him and it wouldn't work and it wasn't happening and the dog, I don't think he was relaxed, he wasn't into me. And like I really I really tried to fuck my dog. You know, and poppers, yeah. Just relax, just relax. Like um but you know like I thank God that I didn't get inside the dog. Right. I would, I've thought about that so much. Like, what if I actually did? Because I've already felt like shit about this. So I would have more, I'd have like dog rape on my mind and my conscience. And right now it's just like just the tip. And it's like, that's something, and we've all rationalized that. That doesn't, like, that almost doesn't count. Right? Um, and it, like a sidebar too. Like, the dog's name, my mom named the dog actually, the dog's name was Trojan. And she, after like the Greek Trojan uh, War, and it was just, it was like, so I hate the fact that his name was Trojan, but I tried to fuck Trojan, and I'm really glad that I didn't. Um, so I was basically like, and I really, I want to blame somebody for that. I don't want to blame my 13 year old self for that. I want to blame somebody, but I, 13 year olds are assholes. <laughs> um, but I was, I'd say I was basically a sex offender at that point. You know, I, I would stay the night with my only friend 
And then like in the middle of the night on, I would actually look forward to this moment actually. This is why I would want to stay the night with him is because I would like reach over, you know, while he's sleeping and I would spend hours with my heart racing, like just getting closer and closer to the outline of his cock. And then I would get just like a little graze on it. And then sometimes I could see like just a little bit of skin peeking through his underwear. And then he would snort and roll over and I would freak out and my heart was beating really fast. And I was so afraid that my heartbeat was actually going to give me away. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't stop me. I did that all the time. And I never, it never occurred to me that that was like, that was kind of like rape too. Um, but I would wake up in the morning before him and I would go through his laundry sometimes and I would find like the jizz stains on his underwear and suck those off. And then I would like hang out outside the bathroom while he was taking a piss. And I would just like listen to the way that that gurgle sounded. And was so entranced with that and wondered what that looked like coming out of his dickhead and, and just fascinated with that, you know? And um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, I would walk in there after he pissed and I would just like wipe my finger on the toilet seat and lick off the little piss droplets that he left behind, right? And these are things you do when you grow up in the church. Um, <laughs> you know I mean, right? Yeah. So, well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you like this. Though. I've been like terrified to tell you this. Like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you. So, well, like when carrots weren't cutting it for me anymore, and when I like I had, I think that I had sexual powers then that I don't have anymore. Like, like I got a shampoo bottle up my ass in the shower. Yeah, and like I really wanted it bad, so it was rough, but I got it in there. And like I just remember being a little vacant about it when it was happening. Like, why am I doing this? I don't know, but I really wanted this shampoo bottle. And like, even though everything that I've told you, like, I like to think of myself as kind of classy. Like <laughs> I do. I think of that a little bit, but then I, I you know this wasn't like this wasn't a Veda. This wasn't this isn't Paul Mitchell. I was like using Walmart brand, like suave daily clarifying shampoo, and it was not clear. So it was fucked, right? Um, I could suck my own dick at that time. I learned that at church. So like, I would be so bored and horny, and I would go down to the to the very back bathroom um, and way in the back of the church where I thought you know like if you tap your foot, you might get a blowjob at church. But it was always me in there by myself, and it took me about a year, but I kept working and working, so I could just get the tip in my mouth. It was like I almost had dick in my mouth, but it was mine, so that didn't really count as dick, right? Um, but I can't do that anymore, and I can't, get the, I can't do the shampoo thing anymore. I can't do any of these. In fact, I'm, very, I'm kind of like the dog, actually. I'm very, very, it takes some work sometimes to get in there, and it's like all this, like, fuck me this, fuck me that, and you're like, it's not working, and then I'm like... You have any carrots or anything? <laughs> like, you know. Um, and and this, so, but like, I couldn't, like, the, the, the dick sucking, it was like Thursday I could do it, and then Saturday I couldn't anymore. It was just done. And um, that sucked because I had to quit cold turkey on that. But I continued to go off into the bathroom at church all the time, even into my 20s. And even when I was in ministry school, they're upstairs 
like outlining Leviticus, and I would just go off and masturbate because I was so bored. Um, but the first time that I actually interacted with a man, I was 15, and I would followed this middle-aged man from the bathroom um, in the mall out to his car, and then I went down a dirt road with him and sucked his dick in the car. But I was so terrified of what I did and so actually terrified of how eager I was to do that. I went home, and I was crying in the shower. And I didn't understand what's going on. And like I used a half a bottle of Listerine to wash my mouth out, and I told God, you know, I was praying, like, if, you, if I won't do this again, please don't curse me with AIDS, and I won't do it again, I won't do it again. But I was like a regular at the mall bathroom, you know, after that. And I would go, and I would be telling myself on the way, like, I'm not going to, like, do anything in there. I'm just going to, like, go see what's, I'm just going to go check it out and, like, see what's going on in there today, you know. Um, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything really. I just want to see. I just want to see these men, right? Um, and then one time, this hot hairstylist followed me into the bathroom, and he came into the stall that I was standing in. It was just us in the bathroom, and he came in there. And he put like authoritatively put his dick in my mouth, and um, he, he like came in my mouth. He didn't tell me. He just like came in my mouth, and then right at that precise moment, the door burst open in the bathroom. And this voice. It was like all judgy. He was like, "Steve, what are you doing?" And I was super terrified. I had his dick down the back of my throat. His cum was leaking out the sides of my mouth, and I was just like holding my breath. And I, I he, I, it dawned on me that I didn't know his name was Steve. Like, <laughs> um, and his cum was like running down my my neck. And uh, he got defensive and was like, "I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm taking a piss." And uh, the bathroom was silent after that. And he like pulled his dick out, pat me on the head, and ran out of the bathroom. And then I went over to the sink and I washed my mouth out with soap, with that pink pearlescent gross soap, just like I used to get my mouth washed out when I was a little kid for talking about sex. And it was just all these parallels were so weird to me. Um, but I walked out of the bathroom and like now I, I love a guy to bust his load on my neck. I love that. I love that running down onto my chest. I freaking love that. But those details, those are not hot details if you're not gay. Like, it's impossible to explain that to yourself. Like, why you have another man's jizz on your shirt? So I would just take that experience and just stuff that in this file in my brain called homosexuality, this file that, like, I just didn't understand, I didn't want to deal with, and every year it was getting more and more dense, and every year I was hating myself all this, you know, so much more, and it just kept growing, and this went on into my college years, actually. I was at the University of Texas, and I was accidentally ending up in the bathroom, accidentally getting fucked up against a wall, you know, this marble wall. And these accidents were happening all the time. Like, I just, this was happening even after I was married to a woman. And she was my best friend. Um, and we needed each other a lot to get away from our families and, like, from the ministry. We depended on each other to walk away from all that, and we were, we were just best friends. And um, the, you know, we had an open marriage for a long time because I was as honest with her as I knew how to be. And to just, you know, I would say, like, I really want to be with guys some, you know. And um, it was something that she kind of put up with, but she never really wanted. But we were really close, and she, she wanted to allow that for me. And we shared boyfriends together sometimes. But the, the thing is, the details that I was leaving out were, like, the most crucial details. And it just kept getting more and more easy for me to leave this out because I was really terrified of how much I actually needed what I was doing. And I just couldn't come to terms with that still. And the personal dishonesty was really starting to grind me down at this point in my life. Like, I was living a double life. And I knew that it had to stop. I knew that at some point that 
I wanted it to stop, and it just felt like it was like this hell that I really couldn't really explain to myself, you know? But um, she would leave on trips, and she would go, and I would, like, look at people online to have sex with and all that whole drill. I'm sure you guys you know, know all about these kinds of guys. And um, uh, that was just... And then she would ask me about certain situations that I had been in, and I would just, again, just give her, like, these really light details. Um, and I would leave situations like that, like, maybe after getting fucked and would tell myself these things, like, you know, like, I needed that, I needed that just for me, like, that was just for me, I don't really have to explain that to her, I don't really have to, like, explain that to anyone else, because if I don't give that to me, then I can't really be present for her and her needs, and I can't really be a good partner, so I just have to keep this all separate, and I would just continue doing that and doing that, and I would take off my wedding ring and put it in my pocket, not so that I didn't have to look down and see my ring and what that symbolized, but because I didn't want the guys that I was meeting in the bathroom to look at me and think that I was like this lying, piece of shit, married, closeted guy. And that's not what I was. You know, I was just this guy that needed to get fucked. And so I didn't want to be seen like that. And um, I felt like I would turn around all the time and I felt like there was a hunter you know, chasing after me, and I would just barely get ahead, and then it would be like catching up. It's like a slasher film, and I would fall down, and then it was like dramatic. But I felt like I just was always outside the reach of this thing that was chasing me, and I wanted that to stop so bad. And one night, my wife told me that when I fucked her, it felt like I was trying to prove something. And that really, really stung me, because I knew when she said that, that that was truth. Like, it was resonated with me, like, oh, yeah, I am trying to prove something to you. And and she was looking at me in the eyes and she was like searching her best friend's eyes for for like a like an understanding of why we felt staged and why it wasn't feeling authentic and you know, she just she couldn't figure it out and she was looking at me and she was like looking at her best friend, she thought, but her best friend was gone and I'd been gone for so long because of like this double life. And you know, she uh she asked me again like this question, like are you gay? Is that what it is? Are you gay? And that question fucking infuriated me because every time I heard that fucking question, I knew the answer to that question my whole life. But it always paralyzed me. And I, I, I just couldn't ever say yes to it. It just fucking froze me. And this particular time, it was different when she asked me because she was really desperate. And I could see that. I could see that she was kind of at the end of her rope. Um, and I just, I just stood there and let her search my eyes and I let her just kind of dangle on her rope until she decided to jump um, and I didn't do anything about it like it just didn't happen to me again you know it was this moment so I, I confess that it took her leaving me and me having my heart broken for me to even really be able to look at myself and to see who I was and to really understand who I was and be okay with that and to look back at all this fucked up shit that I had ever done and all these things that I would said and the way that I treated myself and her to be okay with that. It took her leaving me for that to be okay and for me to actually just walk into my skin as who I am. And um, that is something that I'm still actually learning to heal even to, into this moment with you guys tonight. Um, but a couple years later, I was at a birthday party. We're gonna vibe shift. Well, like I was at a birthday party with one of my, um, for one of my roommates and there was this amazing chocolate cake that I had already had, like, pig out moments on. and like, don't look at me. I'm going to do this. And I, like, had several pieces of this cake already. And we took some of it downstairs to my bedroom. 
and we were sucking this uh, cake off of each other's dicks, and it was so fucking good. And I had like this one moment. I like had like cake in my mouth and dick in my mouth, and it was all like I couldn't get my mouth open wide enough for all this. And I was like, ah. and I looked up at him, and he was looking down at me, and he had this sweet little twinkle in his eye, and he was like, oh, "See, baby, you really are a fat faggot." And that moment was like. I felt so happy because that was the, one of the first moments in my life that I noticed that I had no more shame for who I was as a person. And, yeah. Thank you. Bedpost Confessions is produced by Julie Gillis, Mia Martina, and Sadie Smythe. Audio production is by Ian Danskin. Confess with us at bedpostconfessions.com. Until next time, we will leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess, I used to work out at a gym with about half uptight straight guys and the other half gym body gay guys. And one day... I jacked off and shot a huge load into the lotion dispenser and watched people putting it all over their bodies and walking around. Dirty fuck.